Welcome to the Art of Relationships. This podcast is produced by the Biola University Centre for Marriage and Relationships. For additional resources on healthy relationships like videos, blogs or events near you, visit our website at cmr.biola.edu. Well, welcome to another Art of Relationships podcast uh, with Dr. Tim Yohoff. Dr. Chris Grace, it's so nice to be with you. Yeah, it's good to be with you, Tim. And uh, we've spent a lot of time uh, going back and forth on a number of topics throughout this podcast, Tim, that affect relationships. And uh, you have one that you thought of that would be awesome for our listeners. Uh, So why don't you introduce the topic for the day? Yeah, you know, you and I have spoken at a ton of marriage conferences because we are marriage experts, Chris. You there you go. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Regardless of what anybody else or our wives say. Nothing's easier than fixing somebody else's marriage. That's exactly right. <laughs> but when we have spoken at these conferences, and, and uh, people come up to us and often have a very common refrain. And the refrain is, man, I wish I would have heard this 20 years ago. I would have loved to have heard this the first year of my marriage. And what they're talking about, Chris, is regrets. Yeah. And, and again, I think all of us feel that. You and I feel that. There's things we could do. Uh, just go back, change some things. Now that we've lived through you know, the first five years of your marriage, teenage kids and all that. So it's very common. But we came across a very interesting website based on research, predominantly from Cornell, where they asked older Americans, do you have regrets? And they actually categorized a ton of them. We won't hit all of them. But we thought, boy, this would be a great podcast to just go back and take a look at some of the regrets that they mentioned. And you and I kind of kick it around. This is what I love about doing a podcast with a psychologist, Chris, because regret is something you guys take a look at uh, within psychology. Yeah, we do. It's that kind of if, if regret, I think everybody understands that we when we feel it, we know it. And it's just such a common human experience. Psychologists know it as this idea of a sense of loss at what might have been right. You, you have these dreams or you wish you could undo some you know, choice that you made. And it's that feeling, it, you know, it's both Tim, it's both an emotional state and a cognitive one where at bottom line, you begin to blame yourself for these bad outcomes, right? And if only I would have done it differently, I, I wished I could go back and relive this. And I think for a lot of older people, um, the pain says that I, I just don't think there's any hope for me when it comes to this because I've lost too much time. It's too late. Mm-hmm. So, Tim, I think when when we looked at this website, and we're going to talk a little bit about regret, I think psychologists want to say, yeah, you know, you need to get your hands around what might have been and being able to release that. Younger people can do that. It could actually be helpful to help them refocus, right? And maybe take corrective action if you're young enough. And so I don't think younger people suffer as much from the the regrets that older people do. So, But let's talk about some of those regrets. Yeah, so one was, uh, I thought, very interesting, is that there was a generally a regret about individuals that had gone outside the marriage. And, oh. and that could be an emotional affair, yeah. that could be a physical affair. Yeah. And they later had regrets about that, yeah. that uh, they wished they hadn't done it. Uh, Chris, are you aware of this interesting movie called Late Night? 
Emma Thompson and John Lithgow. Yeah, I've heard of it. I, I, re- I haven't seen it, but... Noreen and I watched it on a plane. This was obviously pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, and so John Lithgow has an affair with Emma Thompson yeah. while he's married to another person. Yeah. And then they start to have problems, Emma Thompson and John Lithgow. Right. And he said this. He said, you know, when I committed that affair, I feel like I racked up bad karma. Oh. I, I felt like... Now I had these regrets that I couldn't go back and address. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So we know from research, Chris, yeah. that if you go to a couple that's at the low point of their marriage yeah. and you say to them, what are the chances do you think of this marriage uh, surviving and then later thriving? Yeah. Most couples at that low point would say, we just don't have very much hope at all. But then this really cool study, five years later, with these couples receiving help, and that help could be marital counseling, it could be reading books, going to a marriage conference, uh, it was 80% of those couples now felt in year five that their marriage was not only surviving, but that it was good. Yeah. That is staying in it for the long haul and pushing through those really hard times and I think this is what the very first one's getting at is some people would look back and say, boy, I have regrets for not pushing through the hard times and even going outside the marriage to meet my needs. I now have regrets about that. Yeah, and it, it only makes sense too, Tim, doesn't it, that um, when when there is true regret or true guilt, like we understand what marriage is and you and I hold to a, her- a very high view of marriage, right? And then when you violate that in some way, shape, or form, uh, it's something that you feel deep. It, it almost violates a moral principle that's part of this grander scheme of thing we would say God's design. So it's Tim, it's no wonder you feel that, but if you can get over if you can overcome it by taking the proper steps, right? Forgiveness and seeking forgiveness. And um, Tim, I think some people just have a hard time even forgiving themselves when that happens. Yeah, and you and I were talking about this because we obviously looked at the list, and you and I made the point that spiritual battle, which has been a topic on our podcast in the past, we even did a whole conference going deeper on this issue of spiritual battle. We did it two years in a row, crazy popular. Uh, Couples came in droves. So with all of these regrets, we're going to have to make a distinction between godly sorrow, mm-hmm. which can be via the Holy Spirit, right. or spiritual attack. Yeah. So if, if you've been unfaithful in your marriage, if you've not followed through on your wedding vows, yeah. no doubt there's going to be godly sorrow. Yeah. Now, that godly sorrow, if it starts to bleed into certain areas, right? Mm-hmm. If you think, okay, God doesn't love me anymore. God's yeah. given up on me. Yeah then, okay, that's a sign of spiritual battle. Yeah. If you start to think, okay, I was unfaithful in my marriage, A, the marriage cannot be saved, or B, uh, she'll never trust me again, or he'll never trust me again, that starts to feel like spiritual battle. And of course, trust has to be rebuilt. Of course it does. But when you start to think in catastrophic thinking, yeah, uh, I'll never. God will never take me back. The marriage yeah. can never be fixed. Yeah, I've crossed the line. I can never go back. Then, don't you think, Chris? That's that's probably spiritual battle. 
I, I think it is spiritual battle, Tim, and I think our enemy takes advantage of the fact that not only would the opposite spouse have a hard time forgiving the cheating spouse, but the cheating spouse has a hard time forgiving themselves, mm-hmm. and and they begin mm-hmm. this, you know, kind of spiral down. Like I will never be forgivable. This is something I've that I violated, right? Yeah. And and I think Tim. I think you started to also kind of go into this notion of not just what is godly sorrow, and we would say that most likely comes out of what's called real guilt, mm. right? Or, or even healthy guilt, yeah. right? And there is such a thing as healthy and unhealthy. But we would say that false guilt is, is, uh, is like the precursor to spiritual battle, because false guilt is this sense that you know, it's not what's true and accurate, right? It's usually the fear of maybe disapproval yeah. in disguise, and that's where your enemy comes in. Yeah. He loves disguises. He loves hiding and and then going at your disguises. So if tr- if you're really dealing with false guilt, Tim, then I think the enemy can easily go in there and say, because he deals in things like lies, and this isn't about truth. This yeah. is about a lie that you've bought about the inability, for example, to feel forgiven. Mm. And that violates all of our scriptural knowledge of what God has said through Jesus is available to each of us. And it's this forgiveness of sins that's whole and complete. It doesn't mean we don't deal with consequences, but good night. Uh, Tim, I think this is where our enemy and where the where the battle does come in. It's during false guilt, not healthy. Yeah, and let me make a quick comment about the the uh, the research we're going to be quoting. There are literally thirty one regrets. Now we're not going to cover all of these regrets, mm-hmm. but notice in the research, and this comes from again Cornell, they said the number one biggest regret. So they started with the biggest, and mm-hmm. that was this idea of being unfaithful to wedding vows and cheating. I would just say this to listeners and to ourselves included, listen to these older Americans, right? We get this weird idea via Hollywood that affairs and extramarital things are passionate and great and, um, and, and you're, but now um, older Americans are stepping up and to say, listen, if we're talking regrets, one of the biggest regrets I have in my life is not being faithful to my yeah. spouse. Yeah. Listen to what they're saying. Tim, that's gr- great advice. And and I and, and Tim, we would also make a distinction here I think you would agree with, and that is these older adults, I, I think if we maybe parse down just a little bit further into the cheating, they would say it's not just a physical affair. For many, it could be an emotional oh, affair, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's this distancing from your family or from your spouse to find comfort in the arms of somebody else or just in the presence of somebody else. It doesn't have to be physical. And I think they, many people express regret that I was not there. I was emotionally checked out. Yeah. I, I was yeah. unavailable. And I found connection at work with somebody else. So Chris, I'm going to butcher this study, but you've mentioned it before. Okay, so remember on college campuses, they went up to men and women, yeah. and they said, what would be more hurtful? Yeah. And to the men, they said, okay, would it be more hurtful if your, your partner. Gr- partner was emotionally unfaithful yeah. or physically unfaithful? Do you yeah. remember this? Oh, yeah. Okay, and what did they say? I thought this was fascinating. Well, no, I, almost all the men felt the physical affair was most harmful, hurtful, painful to them. And for a a majority of women, while the painfulness of a physical affair was great, 
it was actually exceeded by only one other thing, and that was an emotional mm. affair where they weren't available for them because they were having an emotional affair with somebody else, a friendship, a, you know, a just kind of a deeper connections, a connection with somebody. So in life, yeah. it's always, always a good principle when you're thinking about buying a house, you're thinking about buying a boat, you're thinking about making a career move. It's always great to talk to somebody who's done it. Yeah. Right. To first say, I think I'm buying a boat yeah. and somebody looks at you and says, you might as well just dig a big hole and throw your money in that <laughs> hole right now. Yeah. Right. It's always good to get advice from people who went ahead of you. That's the beauty of this, Chris, yeah. is we are looking at older Americans who just yeah. said there's going to be 31 of these categories, but we're starting with the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Cheating yeah. is what I would go back and change if I could go back. Let, yeah. Let's just pay attention to that and listen. And that's the book of Proverbs, right? The it wisdom is. of a community, yeah. mm-hmm. I think, is really good. Okay, we've got more. We've got more. A um, <laughs> bunch of them said that if I ever did a podcast and didn't treat my co-podcast <laughs> host well, um, affirm him, comment on him, that I wish I should just go back and... <laughs> I'll, be, I'll, I'll, I'll sit here and wait if for that's that. that's the anymore. Holy Spirit, Chris. I'm just, I'm just get being a vehicle. Yeah, right I'm, I appreciate your sensitivity to God's Spirit. Hey, here's a huge one that kind of hit personal for me. Uh, not visiting a dying relative. Uh, so you, you've heard me say this before. Uh, I was not particularly close, close to my dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a multitude of reasons, my fault uh, as well as his fault, um, but he got uh, stomach cancer and was dying very quickly. Yeah. And a good friend of mine, Tim Downs, mm. grabbed me and said, look at me, I'm telling you right now as your friend, mm-hmm. get on an airplane yeah. before the chemo starts, mm-hmm. before all the craziness, go and reconcile. Mm-hmm. Go and tell him the things you appreciated, even yeah. though, you, right? Chris, I did that. I booked a ticket. I went uh, while he was lucid. And uh, probably the most meaningful conversation I ever, ever had with him. And it wasn't, we didn't, we didn't fully reconcile. It wasn't this, now everything's right. But then when it hit, he went downhill very quickly and died. I, I um, was at a family life marriage conference, Chris, mm-hmm. when he died. Mm-hmm. It was that sudden. Mm-hmm. And so then I had to zip back, right, for the funeral. But here was my good friend, Tim Downs, who said, Tim, you do not want to live with this regret. And I thought that was so good that I listened to him. And then I I just went out there and it was hard. It was a hard weekend, but Mm. I got a chance to uh, say things to him Mm -hmm. while he was healthy enough to receive it. And I think the the sad part about situations like that are, are there are many people on the other side who felt that, knew that, Tim, but they didn't act on it. Mm-hmm. And I think the sad, sadness is trying to figure out how do I deal now with maybe yeah. the yeah. guilt, the shame, uh, wishing I could do it over. And, and, and that's where, again, going back to this notion of we don't want to let our enemy gain a foothold. Yeah. And, when, and what forgiving of oneself is extremely important. There, and, and, and Tim, I don't know if, if, if you ne- let's say you didn't listen to Tim's advice and you didn't go. Um, and your father died per- fairly suddenly and now you're at the funeral. My guess is the struggle for you would would be in in forgiving forgiving yourself. I don't think anybody else would hold it over you against you. Right. 
And, and I think, Tim, for people that find themselves in that situation, it's learning how to navigate. What does it mean? Why did I make a certain decision at the time? And usually we want a simple answer like, oh, I just didn't like him. Oh, I just ran out. Oh, I regret that I didn't make the time. When in reality, there's a lot of complexity, a lot of feelings, right? Yes. A lot of yeah. emotional, relational baggage that you're sorting through and making decisions. And sometimes you have to give yourself a little bit more credit that it really wasn't just a simple, oh, I just had an airplane flight and I decided not to go. It may be much more complicated. So Chris, you remember that passage from James where James says, come now you who say today and tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, engage in profit, um, stay there for a year. And then James counters and says, but you, you have no idea what a day will bring. And that is the wisdom of the book of Proverbs and yeah. the book of James, right? Yeah. To say, do, so I agree with you. It's not a magic thing. Just get on a plane and everything's going to be fine. But mm -hmm. don't assume you have time. all the time in the world to do. I think that's is a very good impetus to begin to work on these kind of things, right? Do, mm -hmm. do you ever watch Last Chance You? You know that Netflix series where they go to a, a program that's really struggling, a football program? And so they picked one hit right in Oakland, right here. Mm -hmm. And here's a, here's a man who's playing football, and they're interviewing him, and he said, you know, I never went back to my dad and said, hey, it's okay, you struggle, and I still love you. And mm -hmm. then uh, his dad got into a bar fight, mm -hmm. gun was pulled, and he was killed instantly. Mm -hmm. And here's a man... Uh, who just immediately the tears well up and he goes, I just never got a chance to do that. Yeah. So I think we just need to know, be, get, get it in works, get, get the gears going. You're going to have to address this or regret's going to be coming. Yeah, that's good. So I constantly find myself, Tim, wanting to make comments towards those who are in that situation and how do they process what becomes real and, and what's false, what's healthy and what's unhealthy. Right, and, right. you know, because some of that for him is is healthy to experience at some point. But if he continues carrying that on for 5, 10, 15 years at some point, right, then it's unhealthy at some some level. So, Tim, there's lots of regrets out there. And I think this is a great theme. It's trying to figure out what is godly sorrow, you know, sense in which sometimes, Tim, it feels to me like time periods are important, right? There's a moment and times in which you immediately, instantly regret what, what you're about to say. <laughs> so you yeah. say it, yeah. you instantly go, the words are still in your mouth yeah. and it's instantaneous. I should not have asked her age or why did I comment on whatever? Yeah. And, that, that, and then in shorter time periods, I think we regret maybe actions that we take. I, psychologists have found this. In short time periods, people regret actions that they took, like, oh, I should have turned, if I would have only gone and followed my route, if I had only done and played this, if I had only continued down this, and, and they regret it. When older people, or the longer it has been, people begin to regret things that they didn't take. Huh. They, you know, they, they see yeah. more of the options out there, and they're like, ah, I didn't do this. And I regret that. Or mm. and and so it's interesting how yeah, you, yeah. you regret in a short time kind of frame those maybe decisions and actions that you did take, but over a longer period of time as time goes on, I think people begin to maybe regret more actions that they didn't take. And this is one of those, yeah. Tim, especially with the dying relative. Yeah. And there are others out there. All right, let's do another one. I thought this was uh, good. Based on the Cornell research. 
found that people who spilled the beans yeah. on something they were asked to keep private yeah. Yeah. often had regrets later in life. Let me give you a great illustration of this. This just happened last week. Uh, I had confided to a friend uh, something. I just said, hey, this is just between you and me. He said, yeah, it's just between you and me. So we go out and have breakfast. And I, I just I brought it up. I decided to bring it up. They're good friends, but I, I had asked him to keep it in confidence. So I bring it up, and I just start to talk about it. And obviously, my wife knows about it. The only person who didn't know about it was the spouse of, of my friend. And she literally looked like, wait, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I looked at my friend, and he looked at me, and he said, dude, you said not to say anything to mm-hmm. anybody. Yeah. And I looked at him, yeah. and I was like, man, thank you for doing that. Yeah. And that was a really cool moment of like, so imagine that you don't do that. Imagine you're given a confidence and you spill the beans to somebody back. Oh, my word. Yeah, Tim, it's a social contract that I make Mm. with we make with other people. And and that contract stipulates things like I'm being vulnerable right now and holding you in such high esteem that I want you and you alone to share this joy it could be joyful yeah. to share this burden it could be just something that you are even regretting yourself and you share that and and i think tim that uh the regret that comes in later in life is when you recognize that you weren't faithful to a friend and that faith it's similar to cheating right mm-hmm. i mean it, it's the same thing if, yeah. if my wife tells me something in confidence and i go tell you or somebody else like what like what it like <laughs> says, Chris, did you, you know, it, you, you, it, it, it's similar to a, uh, an emotional yeah. kind of cheating, yeah. so to speak. So there's a theologian named Frederick Beekner, and he said, we constantly edit our lives yeah. all the time. We edit, we, we filter, we're mm-hmm. constantly doing that. He said, life is so much more enjoyable when you have a small cadre of friends that he said you can be unedited with. Yeah. And Chris, that's trust. And you know, yeah. being Christian professors right. at a Christian university, having a podcast, speaking at Christian marriage conferences, there just comes a time you can't be transparent anymore mm-hmm. because people would just be bitterly disappointed. That's why pastors often mm-hmm. have confidants that are in different churches. Mm-hmm. And so to have somebody yeah. that you can sit down and say, man, I'm having a bad day and I want to share a heretical thought with you, yeah. right? That really needs to happen in confidence. And I'm not going to be judged. And, and I know that what I say stays in this room, man, that's a gift. Yeah. And it's a gift when you find relationships like that, that you can trust in and you have that confidant and that person. And, and I think you could tell right away who, for many people, who is that in their lives mm-hmm. that they can turn to and, and know with confidence. And what a joy that is, right? Yeah. To have a friend in need, to have somebody there yeah. who yeah. reaches us in those deep places. And and then the sad part, Tim, like you said, these older people are regretting oh. Oh. that they didn't keep a secret, which usually involves violating some contract in a relationship that they had that was close. And they just simply blew it, messed up, and may not have even known it for years that, oh, gosh, I forgot even that I shared that with somebody. And this is, again, to bring back the spiritual battle aspect. So there are things in the past that I've said and done <clears throat> that you, you, out of the blue, they tend to come sometimes. Mm-hmm. You just think about it. You go, oh, I can't believe I said that, yeah. or I can't believe I did that. 
But then we have this way of moving on, right? Spiritual battle is when the adversary tries to get a foothold and won't let you move on. Right. Like, how could, what an idiot to say that. Yeah. How could you have said that? And now you think that you're um, speaking at marriage conferences and you did this. That's when I think now we're in spiritual battle territory, right? I think so too, Tim. And I think there's only really one way to overcome that. It's obviously in spiritual ways that we overcome spiritual battles, right? Mm -hmm. And we turn to the keeper of all of our secrets, the holder of all of our pains and joys, the the Lord that, you know, we turn to him. And and I think that's where we find this beautiful model of of forgiveness, right? Of shame-free living who says and holds and crowns us and says, no more. You you don't live in that world. It does require sometimes actions. And so, Tim, I think if somebody is struggling in this area or messed up, I think one of the best things they could do is just go to that person and confess. You know, if we confess our sins, mm-hmm. we know that God is faithful and just to forgive us all of our trespass and purify us from all unrighteousness. Yeah. And what a great friend who would be able to say that really hurts. It's yeah. going to take some time. Yeah. But thank you for sharing that. And um and confessing that, and I appreciate it. And, and, and that's the, the rebuilding of a relationship that can happen. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians, lavished grace. You've experienced oh, yeah. lavished yeah. grace. That word lavish, that actually was a uh, technical be- bookkeeping term. Yeah. And there was, an, uh, so uh, in Greek society, it was like to exceed a number yeah. is lavished. So think about that. I often say to, to people at conferences, how many sins do you think you have to commit before God gives up on you? Yeah. He's like, I'm done, dude. You said you're not going to look at pornography anymore, and here you've looked at it 50 more times. Yeah. You're, I'm done. Paul says, no, no, no. Think of a number, yeah. right, 58 times, and lavish means it exceeds that number. That's yeah. really cool to think of it that way. It is, and it's a great verse, Tim, out of Ephesians, right? It, and it, it just talks about such love, such gr- you know amazing things he lavished upon us, yeah. and all of yeah. his wisdom and insight, basically saying, you know, and th- that's just pretty cool. He he made known to us all of these cool things, and he lavished upon us such amazing grace. So, yeah. well, Tim, it's been good to talk about some of these regrets. Yeah. Uh, I think because they do have an impact on our relationships. Uh, for long periods of time unless we are intentional about working with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to continue this conversation. Yeah, let's do it. There's because more. I mean, they've got a bunch. We won't get to all of them. But. Yeah, it's good. Let's do it again. Okay. Hey, Tim, it's good talking with you. All right, you too, Chris. All right, hey, check us out at cmr.biola.edu if you want more of our resources. We got blogs. We got guest bloggers. Uh, we've got more podcasts. Uh, Tim, there are resources out there, marriage conferences and things that we do even during tough times when things are shut down. We're still doing a lot of events and a lot of things. And so go to cmr.biola.edu and check us out. Yeah, we'd love it. All right, talk to you later. Have you ever been asked to mentor a young married couple, but were afraid to say yes? Thankfully, the Centre for Marriage and Relationships is here to help. The CMR's Marriage Mentoring Curriculum covers important topics like communication, forgiveness, and the ever-important sexual intimacy. It even provides tips on when and how to refer a couple for professional help. Sound interesting? Check out the resources page on our website at cmr.biola.edu.